Okay. Um, yeah, it's um, it's really a privilege to to be um, this small. I realized again tonight. Um, for those who aren't aware, we recently planted out this congregation um, from the existing morning congregation. So um, if you're wondering why we're only a handful, it's, uh, this is the size at the moment. It's not because it's winter. And it's amazing to be, to be part of this. Um, I think for us who were already part of it um, when, we, when we planted out this congregation, uh, yeah, let's not get frustrated. This is room for growth. Even as, uh, who said it tonight? Those, those spots, they, they, they're waiting to be filled. And I'm trusting something has to start here so that God would add to this family. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you don't believe that you are added to this family, you, even if you thought you chose to be here, I want to tell you, you didn't choose that yourself. And the God has added you to this family. Um, and I hope you have faith for that the same way that I do. Um, I was just thinking um, just now as we were worshiping, so for those who don't know, um, my wife is uh, 36 week pregnant, weeks pregnant, um, so we're almost there, it's like a ticking time bomb, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good one at least, but um, I remember in the very first few weeks when we were still keeping it on the down low, we were driving in the car with Chad, um, we got, went to outreach to Stilbo, I think, and all their kids were also in the car, and um, only Chad and Nikki knew, no one else in the car knew, and so we were all talking about our expectation for the weekend, like, what are you guys expecting, like, how are you feeling? And then he, he asked us all uh, on turn, and he asked Alicia, so, Alicia, how are you feeling? She's like, I don't know, I'm really feeling expectant, and he's like, I bet you do. And then we all giggled, and then um, the kids were all suspicious, and, but yeah, I want to ask, are you expectant? Even as Benny prayed now, um, isn't it reassuring knowing that uh, even as Benny is leading this evening, how he's... So happy for it to go anyway, and the Holy, because the Holy Spirit's taking the lead here, um, and I am ex- I'm not expecting, uh, uh, well, kind of, I always say, we're not pregnant, we're expecting, she's pregnant, but okay, um, anything goes nowadays, um, yeah, so... Um, God's been laying something on my heart for, um, actually since March, he's been speaking to me about something, and... Um, and during the week, I was trusting God to, to, to minister to me. And as I was, um, as I was hearing his voice, um, I was seeing it was wet and cold outside. And, and I realized this is a, a good um, practical example of testing our faith and our devotion is during these times. I, I know it's, a, it's an old thing that we always joke about, um, especially the more traditional old churches. When it's a day like this, it's like... Five people in the front and the rest are all uh, cuddling up at home. Um, But during this time of winter, I felt like the Lord's even saying in our spirit walk, we might sometimes be going through this cold times, the times where it's not convenient to be doing certain things, but we actually have to get out and do them anyways. And because business goes on, the economy goes on, the world goes on, um, we don't just stop because the winter's here. Um, And so that's what I feel the Lord uh, wants to speak about. So I'm excited about it. Um, I want to share something that I, that I, I recently learned. I, I'm not, I don't really entertain um, marriage jokes because it gets you in trouble. But there was one which is undeniably true. So I'm going to share it with you also. It goes like this. Um, you don't get married to become happy. You get married to become holy. And that is true. 
I am happy also, but I'm, but I'm becoming more holy because we, we learn how to sacrifice and kill our own flesh um, for something that's much greater than what we are. And I think it's like that in our spirit walk as well. We, we didn't one day get up, decide to follow Jesus because we were trusting we would become happier this way. And if that was the motive in your heart when you chose Jesus, maybe tonight he wants to, um, you to retake your, your motive for following him because you are following him to become more like him, to become holy. We are not observing Jesus as he moves. We are following him, which, which means we're walking with him and after him. So in modern society, happiness is a massive, a massive thing. That's what everyone's after, happiness. Do what makes you happy. Do what feels good. You're worth it. All those sorts of things. And everything's telling you that it's all about you. Am I right? You are, in fact, I want to say, if you, if you feel too good about yourself after hearing something, reject it. Throw it in the trash. It's probably not good. Because, and, and now this is not my inner <laughs> Paul washer coming out. You, uh, you guys are all right. Uh, this is not a doom and gloom gospel that I'm sharing, but we really aren't that great. And if we, if we, if we are quenching that thing of having to look like Jesus more every single day, we are going to miss the mark. We have to realize that we are always having to follow after Jesus. Um, and so in um, uh, philosophy, there's a term called um, hedonism, which is described as the ethical theory that pleasure, in the sense of satisfaction of desires, is the highest good and proper aim in human life. Now, Sometimes I feel like I can relate to that because if I have to make everyday choices, Alicia can conquer. Um, I know you guys, I'm, like, I'm going I'm to expose her a little bit. Okay. So Alicia is a sucker for action movies. So when it's time to watch a movie, which almost never happens, uh, we <laughs> barely ever get time for movies, but when we have to decide what movie to watch, I'm the one that's saying, can we please just watch a comedy? Um, I'm the one that goes for the... Jim Carrey's of this world, um, the dumb and dumber. Why? Because I don't want to think about it. I want to just laugh my heart out till the tears roll because that's what makes me happy. It releases all the happy hormones. Um, I don't want to watch something that's going to make me sit on the edge and gnash my teeth. Why would I do that in my time of relaxation? Um, and when I'm choosing meals, do I go for the ice cream or do I go for the Brussels sprouts? Ice cream. And a good, obviously. Um, and finally, um, if you had to choose between a situation where you had more money than what you have expenses versus more expenses than what you have money, of course you would go for the one where you have overflow. And that's our inner human being, which is always chasing the thing of wanting to be happy. Um, and yes, there are hormones called dopamine, endorphins, all sorts of things that get released. And that's why we want it, because actually happiness is a drug. Now, I'm, okay, I'll get to it just now. Um, the problem, like with most other things, is it creeps into the way we speak about our own Christianity or the way we think about our own Christianity and our spiritual walk. Everything we want to engage in, everything we want to receive, everything we want to give out has to be, to some extent, satisfactory to myself. Otherwise, why am I even wasting my time on it? And that is ungodly. That is not what, what Jesus means when he says, pick up your cross. I did not do the research, and as I'm standing here, I'm regretting it. I wonder what a cross weighed. Can you imagine? I mean, it was a common way of, 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 of killing people in the Roman Empire. I wonder what a cross weighed. And Jesus said, pick up a cross. Pick up your cross daily. Um, 
And I don't think he said it so that we can become muscular. Um, so this is a very counter-cultural counter way of thinking about things. And by culture, I mean the world around us. But the question I want to ask tonight is how important is happiness, really, to us? And how important is happiness to God? So um, if you are taking notes, I've titled this sermon, Exchanging Happiness for Joy. And it's about the cost of following Jesus. So since I need to be a, a practicer of my own, what I'm preaching tonight, this is not a feel-good message. It's a heart, hopefully a heart-gripping message that can, that can realign all of us just a little bit. I was praying in the car on the way here tonight, and my first prayer was, God, will you change my heart tonight too? Um, so, would you grip my heart as well, even as you're gripping all of our hearts tonight? So I would like to ask you... Um, and this was great fun. I'm going to, I have to be honest now, for the first time in a very long time, I've had to prepare a preach only using the word because we're not doing the other stuff now. So I, I was tempted at some point. I was, I was negotiating. I said to Alicia, yes, this is one thing I saw before, and it's old. It's probably not, a th and I said, no, 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 only the word, only the word. And so, um, but so, so I, I did the, the, the homework from scripture. So I, and now this is a real question, not rhetorical. Does anyone want to guess how many times in Scripture the word happy or happiness or anything to do with happy features? Any time? Can we just have some guesses? Five? Zero? Ten times? Vachis, ten times. Well done. Ten times in the whole of the ESV version is the word happy. Thanks. Vachis oh. is in on it, guys. He's a paid actor. Um, <laughs> In the ESV, yeah, in the ESV. I didn't check that. I only read the ESV. Um, so 10 times. Yeah. Oh, sorry? Oh, thank you. 130? 135 kilograms were a cross weight. Imagine dragging that around every day. That's, okay, cool. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Google. Um, so 10 times you find the word happy in Scripture, all the way from the Old to the New Testament. Now, guess how many times the word joy, or the variance of the word joy, features in Scripture? 197 times, 100 and almost 200 times you find the word joy in Scripture. And by the way, those 10 times the word happy features is not once in the New Testament. Jesus did not utter the word happy once. Um, so this is an important statistic. I think it tells us something. The reason is we, for us, um, when we see joy and when we see happiness, both of them kind of resemble a smile and a bit of a hip in your step. We use them interchangeably when actually they're very, very different. So I would like to just quickly define what both of these things mean. And I know I'm kind of lingering on the topic of happiness and what it means, but I think it's important to understand and identify where in our life we are pursuing happiness. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of different definitions, but the one that kind of binds it all together that I wrote down was happiness is a positive emotional response to favorable external circumstances. Happiness is a positive emotional response. So it's a response to favorable external circumstances. So first of all, it, it's only there when it's going well. It comes from the outside and you only have it when something happens in response. That's happiness. Okay. Joy is a lasting state of delight or contentment that comes from within. And this is not the spiritual definition. 
Um, otherwise, I would have said that it comes from God. This is just the definition of it. It comes from within. And we know if the Spirit's living in us, that means it's coming from the Spirit. So, I just had to make it practical. So, happiness is winning a house in a competition. Joy is building a house, completing it, and reaping the fruits of that house, living in it. Okay. So, I want to read a scripture. Um, Luke 14, verses 26 to 33. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is asking, do the math. And my question is, did we do the math the day that we chose Jesus? We see that Simon Peter and Andrew, who I stand corrected, I think they were brothers or cousins. The moment that Jesus, and, and, we, and, the, and we imagine Israel, when we think about the Bible, we see, all we see is sand, a few stone buildings, uh, fisher boats, and water. So for us, when we read that they dropped their nets and left their boats behind, for us, that's like... That's the, zero, the 33 AD thing to do. You drop nets. What, is, what the word's saying is they left their careers, their source of income. And exactly the same happens with um, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. They literally said the income, that thing that makes their money, they left that thing behind. It wasn't just dropping. They weren't hobbyist fishers. This was their careers that they left and said, and they didn't even ask questions if you read it. They didn't ask questions, they just did it. Matthew, even better, Matthew left his career as a tax collector and he endured the suspicion of his fellow followers of Christ. So when they chose to follow Jesus, they didn't choose an easy way. They cho chose to lose their income and their security, and they even knew in Matthew's case he was probably going to be um, the, 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 the target of the suspicion of everyone else because he was doing a very dishonorable job um, in, the, in, in, in their context. So, so I cannot imagine they were, what's the word, galloping up and down, excited when they chose Jesus. I think they must have be, been almost in denial. I know I have to do this, but why am I doing this? But I have to do it. And if that's not what we did when we chose Jesus, I think that's what he wants to reveal to us tonight. Um, so we have to count the cost. And I want to, even though I just mentioned that we um, recently planted this congregation, let's imagine we are now four months earlier, or a bit more than four months, and we're still a bigger, reasonable, reasonable size congregation the way we are used to it. Even then, if you look around you, are there a thousand people around you? Five thousand people? Are we a mega church with thousands of seats because we can't control the influx? And the answer is no. First of all, thank the Lord because that's a pastoral nightmare <laughs> if you're doing it well. But why? Because this is not a popular gospel. 
I don't know if any of you have been to a town visiting and you're sort of just visiting the church that you that was nearest to you and you because we've all done that hopefully if you sometimes too scared you don't know what you're going to get there but I don't know who's been to a church where you walk out there and you know this isn't what you're used to, yet you feel, you feel good, actually. You're like, wow, this was, this was more digestible than any preach I've heard in forever. And the reason is because it's, it's cheap. It's a cheap gospel. It's an easy gospel to digest. I won't mention names, but we, there are some preachers out there that will make you feel like you can, like you can conquer the world without Jesus. And that's not the gospel that I see Jesus preaching in the Word. And so, yes, you will see 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 people flocking to a church like that because that's the gospel that you want to hear. But it's not the gospel that Jesus gave us. So, um, another scripture, Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Is that all of it? Yes. So obviously when we, when we read this, you, most of the time I imagine followers of Christ versus non-followers of Christ. But I, I'm strongly convicted that this does not only talk about believers and non-believers. I think within those who, who have, this, have a sense of security, God is saying, of you, of you who think that you are safe, many of you will not find the way because you might be following the wrong gospel. Um, we'll get to the lighter side. Bear with me. There's a good side. And, 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 and remember this. This is not heavy, but it is weighty. It's weighty, but it's not heavy. It shouldn't weigh you down, but it, there must be substance to it. Most opinions um, we, um, I've heard before that if you are in line, I'm gonna, I need to phrase it correctly now, but if your thoughts align with what 90% of people believe, you're probably on the wrong track. Because that's the one that's, that's the easiest and makes the most sense in human knowledge. And so be very, um, um, be very um, evaluate yourself, be cautious when, you th when you're following. A, 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 there was a, a trend going around now, again, on WhatsApp and all over the world about all the horrible things Disney is busy doing. Forget about all those things. Jesus is trying to work in our hearts first. So the gospel is sharing the good news over and over and over with the same people that keep on rejecting you. It's opening your life, even the most embarrassing and vulnerable parts, to those who God has entrusted you with in the local body. It's braving the cold winter nights to come to church. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that Jesus gave the disciples. It's giving up your rights. Did you know that dead people don't have rights? We're all dead. When we decided Christ, when we got into the baptismal pool, we said, I'm killing myself today, and I'm living for Christ, and dead people don't have rights. Sorry. Yamar. It's the truth. It's, when we are following the real gospel, it's saying, it's saying no to our flesh and saying yes to our spirit. Because our flesh wants many things, many things, many things. And we, we know, we are clever. Um, we know what our, what our flesh wants, and we know exactly. It's crazy. The, the, the most mind-boggling scripture 
um, for me is the one that says that everyone knows the law of God because it's written on your heart by means of your conscience. That means even a sinner who denounces and renounces that there's even a God in existence knows when they are sinning against God. How much more us who have the Holy Spirit within us know when we are following the flesh and not the Spirit. That is carrying your cross. And it's laying your, um, your life down for Jesus and his bride. And there was a worship leader in the early days of Josh Jean. Her name is Nikki Colton. You might know her. Yeah. She made a very profound um, Facebook post many years ago. And I, I have a, Alicia will say, I have a terrible memory. But some things stick with me. And so she, she said this thing that, that never left me. It's this thing of, um, because when we say we're laying down our life for Jesus, we're not only talking about Jesus. We are also talking about his bride. This his bride. She made this Facebook post, um, and I think she directed at those who felt that it wasn't a necessary thing to, to be involved with church, to follow God. This was her post. She said, you don't invite a man to your house for a meal and not invite his wife, because that's just rude. And in the same way, you can't accept Jesus, but not give the, his church the same place in your life. And when we pick up our cross, we're not just taking the husband, we're not just taking Jesus, it's a package deal. His bride comes with it. Um, I didn't give Orchid this one, but um, I just quickly want to go um, and read Matthew 16, 22. Um, I don't even have to read it. We know what happened. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll also think we know what to do. And this is where we, we become very clever because we understand the Christianese. We know what God told us five years ago, and we're still on that tangent because we're, st we're relying on old revelation. And so sometimes we can be out of step with the Spirit simply because we haven't heard Him for this moment. And so we saw what happened. Twice Peter stepped into it where he said, Lord, you, you can't let them, um, you can't let them uh, take you away for crucifixion. And, he, and Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Jesus said this to Peter, the one who he said, I'll build my church on you. He said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because he was trying to do the right thing, but at the wrong time. He didn't hear the Spirit for it. So even there, he thought he was doing something wrong, but really he was, he was elevating what he wanted in that moment. The same when he chopped off that man's ear. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? And he heals the guy. <laughs> I can only imagine how that looked. Um, so we, when we wake up in the morning, it's so important, and this sounds like such an such a over-labored topic, but Really think about it. There's so many practical elements. We have to get practical. We can't be, be clever. I would much rather be in, intellectually stupid and have a relationship with God. They know every scripture there is, but it's not alive in my life. We have to make it practical. So what do you do when you wake up in the morning? You have to make lunch for your kids or, or get dressed for work. How does this practically play out in your life? How do you allow the Spirit to, how do you crucify your flesh every single time it wants to manifest against the knowledge of God? What, is, what does that mean when it manifests against the knowledge of Christ? It's every time that the thing that's inside of you, which is called sin and flesh, wants to do something that is contrary to the high call that God has given us to crucify ourselves. So essentially, I think we're in a safe place when we're always going to assume what I'm trying to do now is wrong. Let me evaluate it first because I, the, I am flesh. I'm a sinner. Okay, our conversation should be going something like this, I think. Oh, 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 sorry, what does your conversation sound like? And that it might be going something like this, Matthew eight nineteen. A scribe came up to, this is to Jesus, and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, and so the Son of Man 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you want security. Like a fox has a hole and a bird has a nest. What you want, everything has its place. But I want to tell you, if you choose me, I don't, I'm not going to stay in one place. Are you going to follow me? This is what he's saying to this man. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury the, their own dead. How crazy is that? Your father is dead in your arms. And Jesus says, let someone else bury him. Follow me. You have to choose me today. And this is not a, I don't think this is metaphorical. At that point, Jesus was walking the earth, equally God and equally man. And there was a practical restraint in that moment where Jesus said, yeah, I am. You can feel me. I'm a real person. I'm moving. If you're going to bury your dad, you're going to miss me. Do we approach the Spirit like that? If the Spirit's moving and we're prioritizing something else over that right now, the Spirit is moving on. Yo, um, so there's many things, and like a good Baptist preach, I, got, I came up with a bunch of W's. So you can remember this. So what do we have to lay down? What do we have to lay down daily? What are the practical things that we have to lay down? That conversation you have in the morning when you're not looking at yourself in the mirror, only for your hair, and quickly, don't stare too long. Um, what are the questions that you're asking yourself? What is the things that you're saying, today I'm going to crucify this thing? We have to lay down our ways, our wealth, our wisdom, our worth, we have to lay down our works. Again, remember about Peter, our works. We have to lay down our works. We have to lay down our weapons. I had a conversation with someone this week. He said they're so frustrated that, the, that, the, that, the, that followers of Christ aren't doing anything about what's happening in the world. And I asked him, what did Jesus say? Did Jesus not say, turn the other cheek? We aren't called to, 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 to take up arms. We need to lay down our weapons. We are there to hold one another to account, but we are there to love sinners. I don't know, I'm not a parent yet, evidently, but parents will be able to confirm this. You almost never get somewhere, I know this because I was on the other side, um, you almost never get, get somewhere when you're going to go in with a battle. If you're going to go in on your high horse and, and go and fight with someone, you're never going to get anywhere. So how, how do we judge the world and expect them to turn to Christ? We have to model Christ to them. And so even that, sometimes when you think you're doing well, we have to lay down our weapons too. We are yet to hold one another to account, but we are there to love the lost. And so um, even as I, if I, as I um, spoke with someone earlier this week saying what I feel the Lord's saying, um, they, they said this thing, which was so good. When you do something, when you decide to do anything in your life, and please think very practically, not these high spiritual things, but you should be asking yourself a question. Am I doing this? To make me happy? Or am I doing this knowing it will provide me with joy? Because it's very different. We cannot, we cannot create. We cannot manufacture joy. We will only receive joy from the Lord when we are following His ways. Happiness, that'll come when we're following our own, when we're satisfying the flesh. And so, is it my desire or is it for the Lord's delight? What's winning this battle today? Because it's every hour of every single day. And that's the cost of following Jesus. Um, Lauren, do you mind if, because um, we're going to, today's nice and short. Um, so Lauren, if you just want to play something, because I just want us to respond to this now, but um, I just want to read one more scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 to 14. 
For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, um, which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each person has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, then they will receive a reward. And this is why we choose to, sacri- to kill the flesh daily, because only then, only when our works and everything we do survives the fire of God, will we gain our reward. And so I think that's why the Lord's wanting to, to, to minister this to our hearts. And, um, and this is not this massively profound thing that I, it, it's, it's, it's back to basics that God's calling us to sacrifice ourselves, to bring ourselves to the altar. And I've never done this before. I feel a bit like an artist for doing it. But I want to read you a poem. And this was one of the most life-changing poems I've ever heard. Um, every time I hear it, I cry. And I might even cry now. So sorry, it never gets old. I'm already going. Woo! Okay. But, but I want you to, to put yourself in the shoes. This is written by um, a man named Adrian Plass called When I Became a Christian. And, and I want you to think back about the day that you decided Jesus and how you were deliberating. Because we do that sometimes. We negotiate a bit with Jesus. Because if you accepted a cheap gospel, chances are you responded in a second and with the biggest of hype. But if you really understood what you were signing up for in that moment, it, it wouldn't have been a one-second thing. It would have been a bit of a, a deliberation with the Lord because you understand what you're really having to give up here. So I want to read this. And I just want, uh, the, your Holy Spirit, won't you minister to us even as we hear this, Lord? When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, Amen, I think. I think, Amen. Amen, I think. I think, I say, Amen. I'm not completely sure. Can you just run through that again? You say, my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yes, that sounds terrific, Lord. I say, Amen, I think. But Lord, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, you said. You could put up with the sneers and the scorn and the spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said amen a bit. A bit amen. Amen a bit. A bit I say amen. I'm not entirely sure. Can we just run through that again? You say I could put up with the sneers and also the scorn and the spit. Well, yes, I've made up my mind and I say amen a bit. Well, I sat back and thought a while, then tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said... The good book says that Christians live with joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, Amen. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, that's where... uh, Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say, Amen. I need to get it clear. Can I just run through that again? You said that I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I've got it straight. I'll say, Amen. Tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you, not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen. I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord. I'd like to follow you, but I don't think religion is a very manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then. 
and think about my son and tell me if you're man enough to do what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need and man enough to go? Man enough to care for those who no one wants to know? Are you man enough to say the thing that people hate to hear? To battle through Gethsemane and loneliness and fear? And listen, are you man enough to stand it at the end? The moment of betrayal by the kisses of your friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue? Are you man enough to cry? Will the nails break your body? Are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown? Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down? Are you man enough to follow me? I'll ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, amen, amen. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Sorry. (laughs) This is a high call, church. (laughs) Is it only me? Thank you. If we, if we receive the cheap gospel, it's not the right gospel. We are waddling down the lane thinking we're heading towards glory, but really all we're doing is we accepted something that many others will receive. We're on the broad road. And so, yeah, he called us to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And are we, are we that holy nation? And I think tonight... Tonight's not a response where, where we're going to say, listen, if you think you're, you're a fake Christian, please respond. That's, that's awkward. That's not the idea. The response is that all of us will take that moment once again, like the first day we chose Jesus and say, yes, Lord, I am frightened. And if you're not, I hope that God will instill that holy fear into you because it's our high call. Um, just the last scripture, Hebrews 10, 32. But recall the former, former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. Since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and an abiding one, a remaining one. And I believe that that thing which they are speaking about, that possession that you have, which is better, and it's worth all the suffering, is that same thing that we read in Scripture about when it says, for the joy that was set before Christ he endured the cross. That's what they're talking about here. That's that possession, the thing that abides, that remains. It's the joy. Happiness will fade away. We have a better possession in the joy of the Lord. And I want to ask you, don't become too comfortable. If you, if you don't end every single day, and, I'm, and this is not, I'm not exaggerating, this is pretty, pretty accurate. If you can't finish it, any given day and look back on that day and say this is what I sacrificed today where I chose the Lord and gave up my flesh then that was not a good day for you because every day there's an opportunity to choose Christ and um, yeah okay I think I want to land now so there's an invitation this evening I promised there would be a, a lighter end and so maybe with tears but still good but there is, there is a lighter side, and I think that there's an invitation tonight.
that the Lord is extending to all of us. Because the Lord gave me this word. This wasn't a good idea from my side. Um, so I, sorry, I said the last one was the last scripture. This is the last scripture. Luke 14, 15 to 24. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet. And, and we're not beating around the bush now. I'll tell you, the banquet is being held by Jesus. This is what he's talking about. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant and said to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought a yoke of, five yoke of oxen and I have to go and examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then the master out of the house, of the house became angry and said to the servant, Well, go out quickly to the streets, to the lanes of the city, and bring the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded is still done, and, this is done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And um, when I was reading this, the Lord, yo, I just had the sensation, oh my goodness, if the Lord's inviting me to his table tonight and I couldn't make it because I had to go and examine my field or count my cat cattle, there's no other banquet that's worth living for. That is it. This is the banquet that he has set before us. Even as he said in Psalm 23, um, it says, The Lord has set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? I can, I can only imagine right in the middle of a battlefield there's a table set. What the Lord's asking you is, there's going to be arrows flying. There's going to be people running with swords. But what I want you to do is to not engage in these things. I want you to sit down at my table. Because yes, maybe you can fight these battles and maybe you'll win them and then you'll be happy. But what you won't have is joy. But if you sit at my table and find rest at my table, that is where you will find joy. I don't want you to be fighting all those other battles. I want you to fight a battle for your soul because that will bring joy. And so this is something that's been on my mind for weeks and weeks. And I said, there's so many differences that we can make, uh, that we can, uh, comparisons we can draw between ourselves and those who don't know Jesus. But the most obvious one in my mind, and I can't, um, get over it is the fact that the one thing that someone who doesn't know Jesus does not have that I can say with all conviction I do is the peace of God that transcends all understanding I can sleep at night knowing that when Jesus comes I'm alright you can speak to anyone whether they acknowledge God or not and you can ask them the question do you have peace do you know that you know that you're fine if you die tomorrow is your relationships fine where are you and I promise you, they cannot present you with that peace that you have that is provided by the Lord. And so I believe tonight the Lord is saying He's setting a table before us. And He wants us to participate in His cross. But when we talk about participating in His cross, we're not saying we only, we're coming to drink of the wine, drink of the blood and eat of the body. It's when we participate in the cross, we are getting the reward of the cross, but He's also asking us to get on the cross with Him. And so tonight... 
we are going to have communion in front because it's easy to pass it around like tithing boxes. But I think the Lord wants us to come to His table physically as a recommitment to Him. But I don't, I don't want to assume that everyone here has actually made that decision because we, you, can't, you can't participate in the table if you're not an invited guest. And the Lord says, if you choose me, if you acknowledge me in front of man, I will acknowledge you in front of my Father. And so I don't know who, who's sitting here and where everyone's at, but I want to give an opportunity if we can just bow our heads and close our eyes. If you haven't actually, if you feel like, even if you've made that choice before and you feel like, Lord, I might just have responded to a, a watered-down gospel. It might have been a feel-good moment where I thought my life's problems will be sorted out. And Lord, I, I believe in this moment. I, I don't think I really chose the gospel which you are presenting me with that says that I have to die so that you may live in me. Is there anyone like that that would respond tonight and say, Lord, I want to respond to the true gospel? And then for the rest of us, can we just stand and, and ask the Lord to, to minister to us just as we take part in the table and the communion? So just as we going to partake of the, the bread and the wine. I just had that scripture. It says, therefore, whoever eats of this bread and drinks of this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body uh, and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I just want to just remind us, as Stephen has shared with us and just explained this whole thing, this speaks about Christ's death, and we remember His death, but it also speaks about His life, and uh, that we can live in the newness of life, and uh, I love the way Stephen just brought that thing, as we die, we die with Christ, that means you cannot have an offense against a brother. You cannot have an issue that's unresolved. You need to go and see your brother first and sort that issue out before you come to that table. Paul says if you don't, you can bring judgment on yourself and even death, which is quite scary. But the reason he's bringing that in, because we're eating of his forgiveness. We're eating of his love. We're saying, God, I'm taking on your character, which is being able to forgive those in a supernatural way, even though they've offended me, even though they've hurt me, I'm, but it's, it's something that you've given me to do. But you've given me the ability to do it as well through your Holy Spirit. And so I'm, in a sense, an overflow of receiving that, but also to express it, to give it to others and not to hold offense, not to have an issue. Because like Stephen says, you know, some follow another gospel, they follow another spirit and they follow another Christ and, and I want you to come today to the real Christ this evening and, and to partake of him and so even that I, I just want to encourage you guys this isn't just a symbol of death but it is a symbol of life can I say when you're in that place that you can actually forgive someone you know I, I, I can examine my own heart now I have no offense against anybody and I can, I can stand here boldly and say that 
because I know my heart. And, and it's not to say people don't offend me or don't hurt me. I have it all the time. Being, being in the front, you take the hits all the time. And it's constantly coming before the Lord. God, I forgive them. I'm sorry I've messed up and maybe I didn't portray you as well as I could. But Father, And I go to those people and I try and sort it out. But at the end of the day, I hold nothing against anybody. And I can say that with a surety because I know it's not me. It's Christ's love flowing through me. And, and so I want to I just encourage you guys, bring it to the Lord. Hey? There's nothing that, that He can't deal with. There's no offense too big. Remember what Christ has done. Think of yourself. You were a sinner. I was a sinner. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But so let's come to the table with examining ourselves, examining our hearts. But let's come with joy too. Because like Stephen didn't just share about happiness is gone, yes, but joy is here. And you know the difference is happiness is a, is a season. It's a, it's a temporary thing. You're going to be happy. You can, op- you can get a car today. You're going to be happy. A brand new car, shining. That thing is going to last for a season. It's going to lose its value, its significance. And you can take anything in this world in that same light. It's going to have a season. It's going to have a moment. But happiness is based, the word happiness is based on the word happening. What's happened around you. Happenstance. That's where the word happiness comes from. But joy is eternal. And Jesus even says, it talks about an unspeakable joy. It's something within. And so let's come to the table this evening with, with the seriousness of this but also with the joy and the hope that is set before us, that we can endure the cross and we can endure it because it's the joy set before us, not the happiness set before us. And so, Lord, I, I just want to just, just pray this over us, Stephen. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can come to the table. And this table speaks of your love. It speaks of your forgiveness. It even speaks of your holiness, Lord, because we couldn't come before you unless we partake of this table. Because, Lord Jesus, you're coming back and you're going to come back and judge the world. And we thank you, Lord, that that because we have accepted you and received you as our Savior and there's nothing else that we can do but just live in this love and and receive your forgiveness and actually to, to just revel in it, Lord Jesus. But you've also called us to live in it in a daily sacrifice. Lord, you said that we are living sacrifices. And so, Father, we thank you for this. And we come to the table this evening with joy. Bless your name, Lord. So just as you feel led, let's come to the table. Let's partake. Amen.